welcome to The Last of Us, a podcast review of the HBO series The Last of Us. Every week we will review the newest episode in the series, give you our impressions from four different and unique perspectives, as well as our thoughts on how it holds up to the game. You can join in on the conversation by contacting us at thelastofians at gmail.com. And remember, when you're lost in the darkness, look for the light. Greetings, everybody from the QZ. How is everybody today? Good, good. Pretty good, good. Good? Oh, your name and shit. Oh, yeah. The QZ. You like that? The QZ. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Mal, and I have played all the games in this series on which this TV show is based. Uh, Today, I'm joined by Shannon to my left. Hi, I'm Shannon. I have never played the game. I'm picking up a lot as we go. I'm enjoying the show, and they had me back again. Oh, aren't we sweet? Uh, to her left is Sean. Uh, my name is Sean Scully. I've played the game, uh, watched a lot of content, big fan. Excellent. And to his left, Corey. Uh, my name is Corey, and I'm a alcohol. Oh, um, I played the game, the, the one, not the two, and, uh, and not the extras. Excellent. Okay. And this week we will be tackling the episode number two. Tackling fuel. Sure. Uh, the Last of Us, uh, episode two, Infected. Um, just a little breakdown of what we're going to do each week here is that we will review each episode as we uh, see it each week, and we will go spoiler-free um, up into the show that we're watching currently. Uh, no spoilers from the game, no spoilers from the next week on that's at the end of the episode. Um, so, in general, uh, what's everyone what's everyone feeling? Uh, how, how did you like this week's episode? Well, first of all, before we do that, I do want to say yes. that a lot of us are uh, new to the podcast world, uh, and Mal is one of them. And he will learn that when I make a noise, to ignore me or face. When I do something like that, just just don't don't reinforce my negative behavior. Ignore Corey's face. Yes, I generally speaking, I've always taken that into consideration. <laughs> So, any, uh, again, any thoughts on this week's episode? Anything uh, that you uh, thoughts or feelings are right off the top? One thing, because I watched it multiple times, that I will tell Corey is there's a lot of second watch content. You go through this episode one time, you're not going to catch everything. If you go through a second time, you're going to see things you learned later and be like, oh, oh, look there. That, oh, my God. There, there's just a lot of moments like that. Right. I don't want to dig into the details before we get to the scene. Yeah, I'm just so. getting, getting overall thoughts. Anyone else? Um, yeah, I mean, I only watched it once, and that was just because of the fact that I did not find myself with time. I was occupied with other things. Um, but I thought uh, it did an excellent job of kind of capturing the spirit of the game yeah. and, uh, you know, the, the terror of it a little bit and uh, somehow still beautiful eerily beautiful at yeah. the same time right <laughs> like the true. the nature reclaiming everything yeah uh, i watched it three times and i rewatched the first one. Oh, nice and rewatching the first one i decided i'm really a big fan of that depeche mode song I <laughs> to it on repeat. <laughs> yeah that is a uh it is a catchy tune there so yeah that's a, I, I was i was hoping that we would get a little bit more of those but uh so far we have not but i guess oh, we'll find I out think that'll be back i think so too um, so we'll move right into it here. We're just going to uh, kind of break this down scene by scene and see what we feel about this. Um, we are going to open this week with another flashback of sorts. Uh, this time we are heading back to September 24th. And if you recall, this is approximately two days before 
the actual breakout day, or if you prefer, two days before Joel's birthday. September 24th, what year? Uh, I think that's uh, 2003, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Because it's 20 years later? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we open the scene by settling into the uh, an overhead shot of uh, Jakarta, Indonesia, which, if you remember, is where we heard on the radio in the first episode that things were kind of going awry. Um, we come upon a restaurant where an unnamed woman is being taken into custody by local authorities. Um, she's concerned she's committed a crime. A slight relief crosses her face when it is revealed that she is tapped because she is a professor of mycology at the University of Indonesia. Um, uh, we continue with them uh, to a facility where she is to examine a microscope slide preparation with, with what she identifies as the cordyceps fungus, and she is shocked to learn that this is from a human. I like how uh, she initially notes that it's not prepared the right way. Mm-hmm. She yeah. says it's in the wrong chemical, and that's like the first clue to her that something's wrong. But let's go back to the diner because, yes, absolutely. yo, this lady does a great job of selling the fact that she is, like, shitting herself the whole time like she looks terrified you know has no idea what's going on and uh she freaking sells it the whole way through that scene the type that uh probably has never done a bad thing in their entire life and now finds themselves in the back of a a cop car yeah basically yeah (laughs) the the contrast in cultural reaction too i mean she went along just you know the what because the authorities told her to do so it wasn't until she got into the car yeah she spoke up for herself and said did I commit a crime? Like, I, I don't know. I was just picturing, uh, you know, Stan from the uh, South Park, his dad, like, this is America. What'd I do? I thought I could do whatever I want. It was not America, uh, which is probably a big reason that she did not put up a fuss. A um, <laughs> little bit different. Yeah, so Indonesia, I suppose, then, it, not just from the first episode, them speaking about it on the news initially but it seems like it is actually ground zero this is because yes they even go into and you know where it started and everything and right so if we if we follow that path um uh, you know she's doubting that assertion that it came from a human so they lead her into an examination room where she's going to uh basically examine the source of the specimen um she's presented with the corpse of a woman who is uh who has a nasty human bite and a handful of i'm gonna say not squash noodles (laughs) Uh, the sight of which sends her running from the room right from the launch of this scene you get that shot of the emerald hallway you know the tile it's very sterile she's walking through in space with no other people in it very clearly she's walking into what i would presume is a secure bunker and i think they reinforced it with that two guards you know blocking the door and uh she gets into the room you know they explain everything to her and yeah the, the the corpse scene oh my god that was crazy yeah yeah. Uh, who else was sitting there staring at the bullet hole in her head going like, she can't kill this lady, right? Like, she's re- she's dead dead. Yeah, right, she's dead I dead. wasn't sure but, either. But I, you, you, yeah. yeah. I noticed uh, a lot of reactors were very terrified of her reaching into the into the mouth with her fingers. Like, she's going to bite her. She's going to bite her. <laughs> oh, man. I feel like an idiot, but I'm now shocked because it didn't occur to me to think of that. And uh, we've seen, I mean... That did least, not cross your mind no, at all? No, it really didn't. I, I really was just thought too... she was putting two fingers in and none were coming out. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I felt really safe in a room surrounded by guards where they'd been watching her for a couple of days. I'm not sure it's why. It's that bunny suit that makes you feel comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so uh, now we have our uh, patient zero. Uh, the professor is advised of the full scope of the situation. Um, it seems that workers at a local flour and grain factory, uh, as it turns out, is a perfect substrate for mm-hmm. the fungus growth, right. uh, suddenly turned violent, attacking and biting their co-workers. Uh, in the end, some were killed, but the identity and location of the first biter and 14 others is as of yet unknown. When he told her, if you're feeling sick, leave the room quickly, and she <laughs> soldiered through until that fungus moved. You guys just brought it up. I mean, it really wasn't completely dead. I, it, the fear in her eyes was very good. She left the room quickly. She well, the, the host was dead, but when they said that, I was thinking if she's feeling sick, shouldn't you keep her in the room? I think she meant nauseated, not <laughs> right. I, I know, yeah. I know, but still at the same time, yeah, right? I don't You're think going it like, would have been sick by infection. It would have been more sick because she's she is a mycologist, not yeah not um a doctor uh, not not yeah she doesn't perform autopsies normally she's looking at fungus she definitely reacted to the bullet wound in the head oh yeah yeah. oh and whenever she said is this uh, um is this bite from a human the look on her face and even the other guy the way he nodded his head it was it was very tense yeah um and then she has this reaction when she's told that there's 14 like it's not three missing it's 14 and it's just like a nice random kind of number that's like that sucks <laughs> watching her hands start shaking mm-hmm. as he she when she was she i believe she asked what happened to them or what happened to the three and are there any other workers missing and he reaffirmed that the three and another 14 aren't anywhere they're lost in the city yeah that's when she starts shaking now she plays that so well and that goes back to what you said about her just nailing that and like this you can see that oh shit sits like across her face and you're just like oh yeah she she knows that it's over just just bomb the whole city i want to go with be with my family but just right. kill us all to right. save everybody else i think there's another you know cultural line difference drawn there i just don't think uh, a western doctor would have reacted in the same way they probably would have been more resistant or combative in some way and the, whenever she said bomb yeah bomb everything bomb, i was surprised know, i yeah. was kind of shocked at that response it really set me back on my heels and the oh. eyes of the guy who arrested her what I'm not sure what. Yeah, I didn't. He, I don't think is, he gets a name. My lord, it, they were wide, and his jaw was slack, and he was feeling probably a lot like I was. Yeah, um, and just the way she delivers that word, it's like they pick the the perfect word. I mean, bomb right. is the word, but the fact that that translates directly to English without right. sub subtitles is bomb, bomb, and that's all she says. And then you know. She breaks down and, you know, she wants to go back to her family, basically saying that there's no vaccines. There's nothing that we can do here that's going to, you know, help this other than just blow it all up. Um, I do want to point out at this point, there are some uh, little things here that I don't know if you guys noticed uh, regarding um, the where this all started. I missed the Jakarta detail until you just pointed it out. Just right. Now, how they played that on the was it the television whenever... Yeah, and she uh, Sarah was wondering. educated was on the radio. us that <clears throat> Jakarta was the capital of Indonesia. But not, yeah, but not so much that, but the where, stuff, like where the it flower started. Yes, oh, at yeah, a flower. flower and grain factory. So I expected, a, as soon as they said substrate, I thought of Sean. Because Sean is uh, into uh, plants, botany, I suppose you could say. Not quite that, that way, but then fish. And so it's like a, a substrate is a, a terminology here in, in both of those hobbies aquatic gardening it, it yeah fucking nerd um, <laughs> but but i thought like oh yeah he's gonna be all up on top of that but uh you know. yeah i uh, i i the, the factory deal the way it started you know in a the, what's i would say impoverished you know labor-based neighborhood um 
didn't surprise me. It, it's a detail that made sense. It just kind of clicked in my mind. But right. the, the, it was the Jakarta connection from the radio that I did not make. and that's. But more specifically, what's being missed here is that this is a flour and grain factory. And that, and that this is where this thing would start. Okay. And if you take notice... And especially in the first episode, this is pointed out. And if you and if you do listen to, and I suggest you do listen to the podcast from the official um, Last of Us podcast from HBO, um, where the actual um, creators talk about this, is they're talking about leaving breadcrumbs about everything you see is like leaving breadcrumbs about right. what's going on here. And bread is very important here, right. because if it's in the flour, if it's in a grain factory, if you go uh, back to the first episode, oh my God. the neighbors are trying to offer them biscuits that's being fed to grandma. Oh. I whiffed on that. And Me too. I'm gonna have to watch it for a third. She goes over to the house, and what's the mother? What's the um, uh, the older lady making? She's making cookies. Mm-hmm. It's Ooh. she misses that. Love details like that. Uh, go back even further. The birthday what, cake would have been a bad idea. Then that's another one. The birthday cake got avoided. They are, uh, and also to the um, the pancakes. There's no pancakes for them in the morning. They're all dodging bullets. Well, wow, most wow. of them are. Wow. My goodness. Yeah. It's very much like a 9-11 story, right? Like if 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 somebody hadn't T-boned my car that morning or like if I hadn't been sick or yeah, whatever, so I would have been on the 93rd floor kind of, I know that's a more serious thing, but it's it, very much a, hey, putting all those things there right. to make sure that, that people can't say, well, why wouldn't they have it? Yeah. I, I think I made it very clear last week that I'm a huge fan of Easter eggs and I said I was going to go collect some and then it occurred to me I'm looking for Easter eggs in a show about a game. And it's like the whole thing's a goddamn Easter egg. Yeah. And now yeah. you're showing me they still exist. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love and it. this goes back to they can't use spores because they don't want to wear masks. So we're going to do this yeah, alternate way. We're going to have it go this way. Right. And I think that plays into it. And next time I see a uh, a little bit of mold in the bread bag, I'm incinerating it. <laughs> um, we'll continue on from there. Uh, we continue uh, jumping back forward to current day, if you will, uh, 2023. Uh, we get to start with it, a very beautiful overhead shot of uh, Ellie sleeping in a sunlit patch of earth just inside a nature-consumed uh, salon um, under the watchful uh, and untrusting eye of Joel and Tess. This was a great scene. <laughs> Ellie woke up. She, you know, she's sitting in a scene right out of Skyrim, the glowing green grass. She's sleeping on a bed of moss. She wakes up. Uh, looking at the sunlight, she turns around, and there's Joel with a rifle. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was pretty intense, and Tess then looked pretty intense. Uh, they go on to discuss, um, uh, you know, basically Ellie's lack of infection and how she came to be in the hands of the fireflies in the first place. Um, you know, Tess go back and forth on what they should do and uh, whether they should turn back or keep going. Um, there's a little bit about her uh, having to use the restroom and saying, "Is there anything bad back there?" And they're like, "Just you." <laughs> I feel like this is the moment where Tess first shows that she's starting to believe. Yes. Well, I think too they're they're um, starting to set the, the rules for this apocalypse, right? Because Shannon, from a lack of experience, and me from being so far removed from playing the game, could not answer her. But she asks, she says, "How are we out here? Uh, in the like, you know, we should be overrun." You know what I mean? They're kind of painting the picture of like, no, there's some spaces that it's it's not like that. It's, they're not others, yeah. everywhere, um, and and they give you. 
a little bit more of that later on. I don't want to touch it until we get there. But I, I couldn't answer it right away. I was like, I don't remember if it if it's when it gets dark out or what yeah. the situation is. Most of this is very much just a show invention, filling in spaces that you wouldn't go into the game. So, like, you know, how they get to the point where they're finally on their way to where they're going. Does anyone remember what Tess's direct response was when Ellie made that comment? I thought there were swarms everywhere. We don't get we comment. don't get a reaction to that. I think until a little bit later, in terms of she's asking about the specific infected. I feel like it was to. something along the lines of "Don't believe everything you hear" or yeah, something like that. Because right. then I, I then I think something else comes up, and she's like, "Well, you could believe some of it or something yeah. to that nature." Right. But I could be mistaken. Right. When sorry, continue. Oh, you okay? Okay. I was uh, just thinking of uh, whenever Ellie asks her about because it happened right here when she starts asking her about the super infected which is something we remember from the game. If you've played the game, who throws spores at you and Tessa's response. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> yeah. You guys are getting way ahead though. I really wanted to talk about Did her. I, jump out? I apologize. Yeah. Her, um, um, whenever Tess was asking how she was being tested oh, and yes. then Ellie's response, whenever she said, but you know what? I think what that, what really impressed them is that I didn't turn into a fucking, fucking monster. monster. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's really great. I thought that was hilarious. I, I love all of her, her sass, you know, when she comes back and she's like, you know what? I've, I've been through a lot and I, you know, you don't need to talk down to me, which kind of comes into later where she's like not talking down to her. She's like, I'm going to talk to you like you're an adult. Um, and you know, you know, what's actually going on and why, how you came into the fireflies and you know, why they're protecting you. I'll be interested to know at some point whether or not this actor has played the game. And the reason I ask which is one, the young lady. Oh, uh, no, no, she has not. The um, she did watch. She wasn't supposed to, but she did watch. some. Yeah. OK, because I was told I read from the accompanying podcast. It said that he specifically instructed the actors not to watch the cutscenes from the game. He wanted them to deliver their own flavor. And uh, this little girl, she time after time, the scene in the window where she's staring out and says, it's so dark. I mean, I remember that the sun fading off half of her face. Whenever she makes these sassy little lines, she delivers them very reminiscent of Ellie from the game. Well, one thing I do want to point out, and I, I did skim over, unfortunately, and I, I, I'm mad at myself now. But um, this episode is directed by Neil Druckmann. The game this creator. Is, yes, this is his directorial debut in terms of uh, live action. And he was wonderful on the accompanying podcast, too. His excitement, he just really seemed to enjoy the process, and you, yeah. know, you get caught up in his excitement. So he's going to give direction that's very specific to what he gave direction to um, uh, to the actors in the original game. Uh, Troy, Baker, Troy Baker and Ashley Johnson, you know, they played the main characters, and so he's going to direct them probably very similarly because they did all the voiceover work, too. So okay. they're going to get very similar direction. And I think he, he knocked it out of the park. I just think he did really good at capturing his own creation. Yeah, and he, he, the, I don't want to leave it ahead if you're going to talk about the podcast, but he talks about inserting, uh, it, making a game versus making a show. In, in a game, you have the animations, and you can put any detail you want to. You can even change the actor or model. But in a show, you have to set this up like a series of dominoes to make it land a certain way. And there's even a point where you put it out there and you just hope you get back what you want. And he talked about being very pleased with what he got back, and I can definitely understand why. Right. The uh, I, I draw a parallel with with what you guys are talking about with the actors of saying, like, don't watch the original cutscenes if you haven't seen them and stuff, because I think a really good representation of what happens when you try to replicate something or uh, uh, impersonate it is Star Wars. 
right? If you look at The Mandalorian and all the stuff that they've done since, they said instead of trying to make a movie that's like Star Wars, we went back to the things that inspired George Lucas, like the old westerns and stuff, and tried to go off of that instead of replicating it. And so you're getting, instead of trying so hard to fit yourself into this mold of what you think it's supposed to be and just trusting the direction of the people saying this is what you should feel and how you should react, I think you get a more genuine... Yeah, let the story be your direction mm-hmm. instead of yeah trying to trying to fit Ooh, into a mold. That's a T-shirt right there. <laughs> let the story be your direction. We'll continue on here. Now at this point, it is lunchtime. <laughs> Joe and Tess enjoy some lovely jerky beef. <laughs> I was wondering what the hell that was they were eating. I'm pretty sure it was, it was beef jerky. It was like just really. It was not as good as her sandwich. It was not as good as her sandwich, and she's she's eating a full-on chicken sandwich, which, as you notice, is made with bread, yeah, and well. she's eating that, and they're not being offered it. <laughs> Probably because there's probably still a risk at eating anything flour based. I mean, Tessa's reaction to her having chicken just is that chicken? <laughs> it was pretty. And you're like, chicken? They're, they're like, I guess uh, they get it from smugglers. I right. guess not you two. Not you two. She gets in her licks. <laughs> just like the character. Um, so, do you think maybe that is that part of the test too? Give it a bread? I think it also shows. I mean, they don't make it mentioned, but I think the fact that she's eating bread is very telling. I think the fact that she's eating such a rich meal indicates her level of importance. I've heard that too, yeah. 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 So I don't know if you're picking up on clues or if you actually know something based off of the information that you've seen and, and heard. Is this something that's known in the world, that the grain and stuff? Is that like... I believe if you play the original game, very early on when you're walking around to Sarah through the house, there is a newspaper in the bathroom, which can you could miss... And that reads talking about something like a grain factory or something like that. There is something about that. But you get what I'm asking is like, do you think the people in the quarantine zone are avoiding grain products? I would like, imagine it becomes well it? known as to where this is coming from. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the factory in Jakarta is long gone. Yeah. Um, at this point, uh, it's truth time. Tess tells Ellie point blank why she's so important. We covered this a little bit. Um, Ellie is sworn to secrecy, but buckles almost instantly. <laughs> the first people I met. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> when she feels that there is a fire uh, firefly camp out west looking for a cure, uh, Joel's not buying it as he's heard it many many times before. Tess makes the counterpoint that it doesn't matter that if she is or isn't immune, that only the fireflies uh, believe it. Are you going to say something? Okay. No, he just nodded at me randomly, and you look like you had something to say. I didn't want to step on your toes, I, but whenever she starts rattling off about how she's the key, and Joel parodies her word for word. It yep. really gives you a clear sense that he's heard this before. Thousands it's of times, bullshit yeah. as far as he's concerned. And is all of this running along with what, how, how it goes down in the game? Pretty so much, far? yeah. He's very doubtful of this situation. When he finds out that she's first bit, he's just like he's just as protective of himself as as he you would expect him to be. In the he's, game, Joel gets to develop his his um, opinion more through action. You, you're him, so you're doing the, the brutal activity. You're making the hard decisions, whereas in this, they have to develop that less personal and they're using the 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 i can't remember the word the script the words for the actor to do it dialogue dialogue is the word brain don't work but (laughs) i think they're doing a really good job yeah his motivations in the game are different than this this is a little bit different he's he's going to try to see his brother which is not really mentioned in the original game that's not really his motivation i think it's just a job yeah i think his uh twist towards the brother comes later in the game it, after some later per, later on failure he he decides the brother's the best option whereas here I, they're saying that that's his primary motivation yeah and that she's just a means to an end right um uh, hold on before you get the truck anyone notice oh sorry no i'm getting ahead let's go 
<laughs> but I, I do want to just real quick so that I'm not thinking about this the whole rest of the show and sure. then can focus on what everybody else is saying. Can I, I make the clarification that even though that we know that it started in the grain factory, that it may not have it may have been grain factories everywhere. Are we like my mentality is going like, oh, those are places that would promote a healthy environment for the fungus to grow in the original fungus, like to spread or an right. environment for it to That's spread. That's kind of what I was substrate. asking whenever I said, "Is are we sure now this is ground zero or is it possible? That's just what we've heard I, of. So I far. think if you look into this, that the grain factory there is like the largest supplier oh, of okay. grain in that the entire do. world. It, but, I mean, that's a real, that's a real thing. But when we get into that terminology, the substrate, it's, more important it's like so it's not just like oh this is where it first came up or anything it's like that environment specifically promoted for that that fungus to to thrive right right i just wanted to clarify that as far as my thinking is that's why it is a connection there and yes it's probably the primary ground zero and all of that stuff but i feel like that is important in some way to but I also think this is why it kicks into gear so fast is because this grain was distributed throughout the world and right, now everyone's right. consuming it. I mean, 20 years later, I think it's safe to say any grain we're consuming or doing at this point, we're growing in our QZ safely and sound separate from the infection. Theoretically, yeah. Probably monitoring. Yeah. Well, that chicken sandwich was on bread. For sure. Right. <laughs> and they didn't ask for a bite. Well, the, the significance to me is it may you know, come back later or be significant in some way to the story because we know that it's an environment where the fungus can can thrive and so forth. And so, you know, like I talked about in the last episode about going the further north because of the global, you know, the, yeah. the global temperature and getting to a colder location. And uh, so I'm just kind of trying to piece together in my mind. The grain right. is probably places. increasingly rare living in a normal, norm, northern climate. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, uh, Joel does capitulate, and uh, Ellie does ask for a gun at this point, <laughs> at which point she uh, finds out she'll have to just make do with her sandwich. I, that, great comment there. Okay, I'll just throw a sandwich at him. In <laughs> um, the next scene, as we're heading out the door, Joel moves an old bookcase blocking a door um, as a quick nod to the gamers. There you go. Uh, moving things out in front of doors is a very right. common thing you do in the game. Frequently, it's a basic interaction <laughs> you get just to sort of put you in the story and you know, get you set ah. Yeah, they're always blocking doors with some right. sort of piece of furniture. One of the, the really bizarre things about this game that caught me off guard the first playthrough because I wasn't, you know, so story-oriented was that there were a lot of times where you go through a fairly lengthy cut scene and they would drop you into a situation where you have to move a bookcase and then back to another fairly lengthy cut scene. Yeah, I feel like watching the show anytime that one character goes to help the other character up, like somebody needs to push the square button. Right. <laughs> there's always that. It's that, basically in games. The button, yeah, it's a way of loading in the next zone. You're basically dumping the last zone that you were in from memory right. and loading the new one in. So there has to be some sort of time delay to allow that to happen. So that's why it happens. In the it games. was probably the technology at the time. You couldn't load nearly as many polygons as you can with a PS. Right. So, so you're freeing up memory and loading into new. That's also why you have areas where you can't go backwards. Right. Um, after moving the bookcase, we are presented with probably the most visually stunning post-apocalyptic view that I've seen in a TV show or movie. I mean... More it, interesting than the view is Ellie's face. Yeah, when she sees it. She's us That's in this the scene. first time Absolutely. she's seen that in her whole life. She's been in a QZ, and she's been surrounded by garbage and monsters her whole life. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, as we walk the streets, of course, we see more and more of the decay of, of everything like that. And just the, the, the places that they shot this at, this was all filmed in Alberta, Canada. There was a minor attack on my bullshitometer in that scene with the collapsing building leaning on the other one. I, I Neat. But I don't feel like that building would have continued. Structurally, to stand. Yeah. yeah. I've always just, been like, ah, would that really hold? Right. <laughs> they filmed in Canada because it's safe, because it's north. There you go. There you go. And there's tax credits, <laughs> but that's besides the point. I did do some, because I was trying to figure out what those buildings are in Boston, which buildings that they are. But it's funny because in my Googling, I managed, I kind of came across a screenshot from the game, and it is. And I think you said that to me last week. The only difference is there was like a, um, in the screenshot from the actual game, there's act like a, a road, like a sign to the airport or something that's yeah. hanging on that, that that's not there in this scene, but it was pretty, pretty close. Yeah, they it. do make it very close to what you saw yeah. in the game. Um, in the game, though, you do actually go into those buildings, right? Oh. And you're walking around on these slanted things. So do you things. know what buildings they are? No, they're just they're just, <laughs> just buildings. They're, they're, a, they're, a, sure. they're a pathway to your destination. Although it wouldn't wouldn't blow my mind if somebody went back and told me no that's the x y and z building well the one looked like in my trying to figure it out it looked like the john hancock building in boston but i couldn't figure out what the one leading on it was right. so yeah because I, I could be wrong best i could tell is all the foreground stuff is practical and then there's a defining line where it's all cg but yeah. it is very very seamless in my opinion it looks really it great. was beautifully done i mean if it just wasn't for that odd structural issue i, I probably would have been less put off that, that that's what put me off I'm just looking at a building leaning on another building <laughs> no that's not how that works <laughs> the birds flew between it and i thought oh no <laughs> it made me think <laughs> of idiocracy 10,000 years or 500 years in the future when they have the buildings tied together with like string and bungee cords to keep them standing <laughs> uh as we move on we see uh the half topple buildings of course and then the craters from the bombing and nature reclaiming the streets mm-hmm. Um, as we move through the streets, it's decided that the long way through is much preferable to the we're fucking dead way. Right. <laughs> um, just based on that limited information. Yeah. Just based on limited information. <laughs> that was a great little line. Um, as we continue our, 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 um, to follow our, our trio through their trek, uh, we are given some more ex- time for exposition. Um, how Ellie got bit, she went to the mall, which is where, of course, you're always going to get bit. Right. <laughs> uh, she was alone. She was totally not alone. Uh, how old she is, uh, 14, and uh, Tess uh, presses F to show respect. Is that, do you know that reference? No. 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 Okay, it's a reference Sorry. to uh, video games. So, anyway. Wait, um, what was the reference? Uh, press F to show respect. Wouldn't it be GG? What game? Um, Call of Duty. That's and many other games. Reference? Yeah, you're at, you're at a funeral, and it, and it says, because uh, when you're playing the game, it says press F to, to pay respect. Oh, oh. <laughs> We, uh, it was in the previous scene they were communicating that we caught the first introduction of the concept of clickers, right? She says the... Or is that here? Well, it's coming up here. This is the okay. very next part where... Um, Sean, you need to slow down. I will. I will. <laughs> yeah. I apologize. I just watched this. I came so excited. And it's all still probably one like point in my brain. Uh, Tess follows up by asking if anyone is going to come looking for her, like her parents or her boyfriend. She says she's an orphan and a boyfriend. No. Um, at this point it's time for Ellie to ask some questions she starts asking about super infected uh, infected with split open heads that seem to dark like bats right Tess denies this but gives a look back to Joel as if to say she knows whenever Ellie mentions the ones that you know the big giant ones that throw spores at you and Tess says I hope not and then she brings up the bat ones Tess did not respond. She silence. looked back at Joel with that's a, well yeah she looks back after both of those questions are asked holy shit moment in her eyes 
Um, it's at this point, uh, and this is another great scene, where they're on this bridge, uh, this uh, overpass, if you will, and they do hear a noise in the distance. That's the first time I think we actually get, the first time we hear a noise of anything. I was wondering if you guys had any idea what made that noise, because obviously that wasn't a clicker. We assume it's an infected <laughs> of some sort, right. probably um, a runner. Um, so Shannon, being a non, it hasn't participated in the game. In the game, they give you kind of a clear classification of your enemies. There's Let's also be careful because just for, I, I don't know where you're going, but so I'm just, you know, take this with a grain of salt. But we do say no spoilers toward the future of the game, too. So, like, if it's stuff that hasn't been introduced in the show yet, make sure we there don't is, introduce it. Now. Well, it depends on what you're going to say. But most of the things we're introduced to are in this episode. So Shannon it's, it's has safe. heard us more than once already say the word clickers. That's has Right, and it is established in this show, so that's safe to say. So, in the game, there's, you know, some of your basic enemies, they're breaking in fairly say, uh, unique classifications. And the basic enemy, the first one you meet, are the runners they can see that's an important point and they just basically attack anything at full speed they run the second one after they either evolve or i'm not really sure how it decides whether or not it's time based it's how infected you are uh they their eyes get swollen over from the fungus or just disappear altogether their head sort of splits open Mm -hmm. as you you know uh, we're getting to this but like the the clickers is the second badass and that's where we're going right um after this, uh, after they decide that they're going to move a little bit faster, um, I believe we come up on the hotel, and the first thing we see at the hotel are ducks. Ducks, anyone? That. Yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> yeah, the ducks. Uh, we enter a flooded, uh, flooded out hotel. Ellie, we learn Ellie can't swim, but before Joel has to float her along on a pallet, we realize that the water is not all that deep, just gross. Um, however, not too gross for Ellie to stop from checking her reservation at the desk. Uh, and find that the desk clerk has gone swimming. Some great world developing here. She walks into the hotel and says, have you guys ever stayed here? And Joel responds, how do you know what this is? Yeah. What what was her response? We have books. We have books. (laughs) Or I've read a book. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. It felt a little bit too on point for me for like a kid that would have never experienced any of that. Like even the tone and all of that stuff. But I suppose you still have other people making reference to the way that things used to be that she could have picked it up from. But Any number of fictional no- books that I can think of, you know, based in or around a hotel would have introduced her to those sort of, you know, rowdy guests, the pricks that yeah. show up and bang the bell. A lot of this uh, scene at the hotel is from the game. Um, at least pieces of it are. And the hotel actually comes a lot later in the game, but they're throwing it in right here. They've already pointed out or made it clear to me that the game is not or the show is not going to be exactly like the game did anybody no. else's butt clench when she rang the bell three times oh, yeah. everybody i watched reacting had that uh, what exact are you doing? and what i couldn't believe that tess and joel didn't there was no response reprimand her yeah. for that somehow it was a really interesting moment between uh or the, that happens here whenever she, the the she starts banging the bell she shifts the baggage thing and a, a dead body falls out startles her at which point, you know, Joel comes over, defense mode, uh, and he leans down, kicks the thing in the head, you know, just make it triple short. It's dead. It's pretty clearly dead. But when he helps her up, he pulls her to her feet. She holds his hand for just maybe a half a second longer and then pulls away. And you can see he's sort of looking at his own hand. I'm not 100% sure what I made that out to mean. I think it's a combination of things. Okay. It's the fact that that's her infected arm. Yeah. Okay. It's also this... And he has uh, that open cut on his hand. Yeah, and, and then there's this, this intimacy that he's, he's not had any hands on this person. Right. And now and, you know, it's, it's someone who's of relative age of what his daughter was, and he's helping her. 
Right. It's that right. brief little connection that you see in his eyes. He's like, and then he, uh, then he does. He looks at his hand and he does this kind of clinching of his hand. And I they, think it's they a, there's both, a lot. They both have those emotional walls up too, right? Yep. Like not not just him, but her too, because she doesn't have like a traditional family. She has wherever she's from and her people. But I did want to respond to how Joel and Teston react to the bell also in the hotel. And my impression during this scene is that they travel this route often enough that they expect it to be clear. Mm-hmm. Like uh, they go to that point and they find that the path that they normally travel is no longer accessible. And so to me, I felt like some of that could have been explained away by the fact that, oh, this is somewhere they normally go and it's and it's generally cleared. And honestly speaking, all the running water and trickling sounds and background noise would have easily masked that at any distance. I can see you know them having a level of comfort there with the audio camouflage. Tessa um, also showed her some concern <clears throat> whenever that all went down. And I think that that was kind of the first of what will continue to evolve toward the end of the show um, of Tess kind of having a maternal, sorry, <laughs> maternal feelings towards, you know, like right. instinct kind of kicks in and she's taking care of this young girl. It's that more. motherly vibe that Tess yeah. has this whole time. I mean, the, whenever Ellie's walking along asking the questions, she's usually addressing Tess and Tess is the one that responds. She gives her relatively honest answers as a parent might you know Mm -hmm. not too much information not enough to scare you but enough to keep you on point and just mentioning joel's cut hand there was a a little development there way back in the beginning of the episode where she looks at his broken hand you know and it it establishes what level of trust they share because a little handshake is enough for them to shoot a lot of people in the head but she's looking at his hand jar and he's got an open cut and she just knows for whatever reason that's not infection I trust Joel. He would have told Said me. something, yeah. Um, and that becomes uh, important later. Trying to think here if it was... Yeah, and I was pointing out a lot of this is in, in the original game. Um, at this point, we do go up a few floors, and uh, they comment that uh, after climbing t- 10 floors, their old knees can't quite take it. Yeah, that was a great line. Boy, <laughs> I like do that. I feel it at 40 years old. <laughs> I had to run up and down the steps a few times at work this morning in the basement, and I could tell you I feel it right now. This morning, you were just bitching 10 minutes ago about having to go up the steps too often. <laughs> yeah, but that was because it was the cherry, buddy. Cherry on the top of I'm the I'm old, and I don't like it. At this point, we, uh, we get to the 10th floor, and then we uh, cut across a hallway that dead ends uh, where they collapse ceiling. It's at this point, uh, Tess needs to be boosted over this wall to check on the other side. This is very video gamey. There's oh, a man. lot of boosting people over walls. Oh, yeah, it was right out of a video game. Put her up on the wall, and she even looks back with that video game tone. It's pretty messed up back here. I'm going to be a few <laughs> minutes, and you're like, okay, free time. Joel's the gonna the, get the only thing that was missing is the Naughty Dog yellow color that <laughs> signifies the, the ledge that you can grab onto. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, bring on the uncomfortable Joel and Ellie conversation right? uh, where we get some more classic uh, uh, Ellie sass and Joel resistance to opening up too much we learned that Ellie goes to a shitty school and um, how long infected can live um, let's see uh, you can put down a gun oh then, then the scene where um, you know Tess is on the other side and you can hear her on the other side and she's like put down the gun Joel <laughs> Right. She knows that he's going to be on high alert right. when that happens. I don't want to open that door. Hold any hold on, hold on, any thoughts on this conversation? I, yes. Yeah, the back and forth. Um, yeah, let's talk about that. Between Joel and Ellie. Um, she did ask about how long these things can live. Mm-hmm. Pass. And she, No, that wasn't a pass, though. He answered that one. Okay. Is that what you're suggesting? The first two questions she asked him were answered with a hard pass. Oh, are no. you and Tess 
She does a little finger right. thing or whatever. You, we can go over the whole Not thing. that finger thing. I was just thing. cutting to the, this part, which because I had a question on, and I think you kind of started to touch yep. it a little bit. Or, uh, but what does determine if they're going to live 20 years or one to two days? I assume it's just if they get killed by something else. Okay. I mean, I think it's just like anything. You just live as long as you live. And I don't. I know we're not supposed to talk about like anything that isn't in this show. Go ahead. But I have to ask: Are there like bosses, and they're like the badasses that have been around for twenty years? There are. There are older infected who okay. are more powerful. Sure. Okay. The way yeah. the game plays, it isn't so much your normal. You run through a level and get to a big boss and then move on. They use situational bosses instead of putting a big bad character. They hit you with more of them or from strange you know, attack positions or they pin you down and force you to, you know, deal with them. It's not so much, uh, you know, Sega Genesis where you go through all the little guys and then you get to the one big guy at the end. You know, the, the end might be a series of little guys. It might be one little guy you have to deal with in a weird way. It might just be a cutscene. Yeah, yeah, well, you've got to figure the last time I played video games on any <laughs> regular basis. No, it's a good question. Yeah. And there yeah. was a really important point there. If you want to, mind, don't mind talking about the um, HBO uh, accompanying podcast real quick, there was a scene that actually got, didn't even make it to the cutting room floor. It wasn't actually developed at all. And they talked about it at this point. If you have, have you listened to that? Mm-mm. So there's a backstory to test. Do you want to talk about a little bit about it? Sure, I'll, I'll, I'll indulge you. Okay. All right, tell us what they told us. About no, I mean, I, I didn't watch, I, I didn't see the episode two uh, podcast, so I don't have this oh, information. I apologize. Well, I don't want to wreck it for you, but no. apparently Tess has a backstory. Tess had a son and a husband at the beginning of the apocalypse. This is something they wrote uh, for a conversational scene between Joel and Tess that just didn't make it. It didn't fit. They didn't have time for it. But she had to kill both her husband and her son. Oh, wow. Uh, her son, or I'm sorry, she killed her husband, but couldn't bring herself to kill her son. She shackled him in the basement. And an interesting point about what Joel says right there, you know, some of them been walking all 20 years is theoretically her son's still trapped in a basement somewhere, shuffling around. Crazy. And the director said this. This isn't something I'm making up. Right. Yeah. yeah well, so yeah, my, my interpretation, and, and that actually shines a little bit more light on the subject, but uh, for me, it was kind of like, a, oh, okay, maybe it depends on the level of the infection or whatever. But it was also kind of another way of setting the groundwork for why there is not just an endless supply of zombies out in this world. Is because right. like there is a natural life cycle to these things, and they it sounded like most of them do not live a long time. But maybe depending on the type of infection or the degree of infection, yeah. that they can Joel's survive. Response longer. was mostly a couple of months. Some of them been walking around since the very beginning. Yeah, 20 years, 20 he says, years. Yeah. Well, for example, like the one that they find that's in the wall, right? That's up against the wall, and they say, oh, no, this one's gone. Like, clearly, it appears that that one just kind of grew into yeah, that it position. It ran out of whatever it needed that, that right. let it die. Yeah. Right. So, it was, you know, it was not killed by something else, and it wasn't there the last time they were there. So, it was a, a, a system of, okay, this was the end of the, the road. Right, yeah. I guess just like anything, there's going to be a finite lifespan, and if it can eat and sit there and hang out for 20 years, then it's going to do that for 20 years and get bigger and badder and mm-hmm. more gross. I believe <laughs> in the previous scene, Tess alludes to the hive mind. Am I jumping the gun there? You are jumping the gun a little bit. In fact, we're heading to that next. Um, after they do get through the door, we get a wide shot of a courtyard full of infected. Probably one of the more gross scenes, even though you can't even see the real detail. Um, we get a quick and dirty lesson of how infected communicate. Basically, it's a fungal information superhighway. So it's this scene where you see a bunch of motionless 
infected just laying in the in the in the courtyard and then as the sun crosses them they kind of right. react to the right. sun hitting them and and she Ellie basically breaks it down out. like you know you might be immune from the infection but you're not immune from being torn apart right she's still under threat she's not invincible right right it was very avatar yeah <laughs> the, the trees communicating yeah the forest. yeah and the commentary at the end he calls it the wood the wood wide web does he say that and <laughs> in, in the commentary at the end oh yeah i didn't catch that oh okay i got you i got you so just to point out this is something right out of reality there's a great book i cannot remember the author it's called finding the mother tree it's sort of a biography of this woman's life in the jungle but she grew up raised by scientists she's the one of the early scientists to point out that trees and non-fungal organisms use these what's the term myco something or other um fungi to communicate with each other so over long distances you know they're finding that smaller trees grow faster under larger trees because they actually pass nutrients from the trees to the smaller trees yeah it's caught a shrubbery. A shrubbery. <laughs> i didn't think i was going to find cause to, to play that button on this show ever so i was excited this was not in the game it's called mycelium and i think that this oh, is a nice. very appropriate um addition i think it was a, just a nice detail it it Especially, I mean, it is exposition because obviously we see this. This is like, uh, you know, che- Chekhov's um, uh, exposition here. We, we, they mention this and then this happens. Mm-hmm. We know this is going to happen. So um, that does come back uh, into, the, uh, into the story here. Um, at, at this point, um, we continue on. Uh, we're moving off to the museum now. So they have to re, you know, go a different way this time and basically take the we're possibly fucking dead way. Um, uh, Joel checks out some dry fungus outside the doors and confirms that the museum is like totally safe. Didn't love that choice. If he really was unsure to, to whether that thing was dry, he was risking waking up a horde just to figure out if it was dry. It just, yeah, maybe he, I don't know, maybe he was just looking at it and just making sure. I have no idea very how. Very much looking down the barrel to see if there's a bullet in the gun. <laughs> um, and once again, speaking of gun, he denies Ellie a gun uh, at that point as well. Um, Does she ever get a gun? You'll just have to find out. I just have to find out. <laughs> to, be, to be fair, we don't know, right? <laughs> I meant in the game. Well, right. that'd be future spoilers. Right, understood. Also, understood. the game and the, the show aren't going to be exactly the same, so we genuinely do not know. And, and I was thinking about that earlier. There's, it, It's kind of weird. This is actually the opposite of a book to a movie, if you think about it. Because, like, a book, you can never fit all of that content into a movie, right? Like, there's so many words and so much to put in. Whereas in a video game, like if you boiled down all the cutscenes from the game, it's going to be very small compared to this entire series. Like most of it is an experiential thing with not a lot of uh, dialogue except for, you know, the the grunting and like the occasional, you know, expletive that they they say whenever they get shot or run into something. And that's why I think this works is because there is a fully fleshed out story with fully fleshed out dialogue. So I think that makes this work. Not to take a dump on the game, though. I want to point out, this is one of my favorite things about this game. There was live conversation and detail delivered during action scenes. There was a, there's various scenes whenever you're interacting with Ellie and there's uh, uh, important information. She's just talking to you, you know, asking questions the same way we're seeing here in the show. So like, there is content that probably had to get eliminated because, you know, you can't play the show characters. Right, right. Yeah, they, they do make those contextual, like, right. you know, interactions with the other characters. You can choose to engage with them or not, but there's definitely things to be heard. Right. Um, inside the museum, Christ, this place needs a maid. <laughs> <laughs> the Bostonian Museum. The Bostonian Museum, yes. And uh, the set designers, in this case, I think need a raise. This place looks freaking amazing. Nailed it. The, Nailed it. The aesthetic of the overgrowth is dead on to the game. Um, there's just a lot of, you know, 
what makes this such a creepy thing in this in these scenes. Um, the director uses a very small number of colors in every scene. I don't remember what the technique is called. It adds just a, a surrealism to it whenever you're looking at it almost through a lens that focuses you at certain points in the screen. And they were able to do some things here that you couldn't do in the game. Like they use bright contrasting colors, whereas in the game that might lead you to think, oh, that chair is important. I need to go click on it. You know what I mean? They could do that here. And there's a lot of contrasting color. You'll see that. It was good, good scene work. I think it very much, the color palette is very similar. Even the look and feel is very right. much like the video game. Right if you play it, you're like, you'll, you'll say, this is very familiar. Yeah, these, these open hall scenes in the museum and when they were outside, it's straight from the game. Straight yeah. from the game. It's when it gets a little darker is what I guess where I was jumping the gun again. There were a lot of moments during this episode that I was actually taken out of the show just because of my thinking about like man this must have been expensive <laughs> like this is really good like looks amazing but like this is a, this is a lot of work there absolutely had to be a lot of soundstage work here had to be yeah um they happen upon a dead body and realize that maybe it's not so safe in here um i also like this is the scene where he's basically saying we have to be quiet from this point right. out we are silent. And I love the way he hits that. Me too. That T, that's silent. It was very satisfying. That's yes, the is. best way to put it. <laughs> I was like, I always key on that every time I watch it. And he's like, yeah. And actually does a really good job of giving you the experience, if you don't have children, of what it's like. It's like, we have to be silent. But silent. Yes, silent. Put a little bit more on that last consonant. <laughs> um, we start to head up the stairs, and of course, you get the uh, all the tropes of stepping on things and making noise when you're not right. supposed to be. Um, upstairs, they enter a hall that has uh, basically it's a, an exhibit of a Revolutionary War, a lot of muskets and and uh, lots of human-like figures that are going to catch your <laughs> eye there to to break up the uh, the scenery there. Uh, just in time for the ceiling to cave in, making just just a just a little bit of noise. <laughs> That was when the door closed behind them, right? That, they, that was the entire hallway ceiling caving in. But just like a video game, you <laughs> yes. can no longer go backwards. Oh, yeah. Yes, we, we're going to unload that zone from memory and stick, right. stick here going forward. Um, it's at this point we get the first sound in the game that players know all too well, and that is that first sound of those clickers. Oh, man. <laughs> in the game, that was just such a moment the first time you heard the clickers and you didn't really understand but the game gives you the idea that you need to get down and shut up you know obviously can't speak but silence becomes very important and i remember being very worried about what ellie was gonna do even though it turns out in the game anyway she didn't have a great like she could walk right in front of them without triggering them because you were what was important but in the game i remember like i'd run across a space and Ellie would be on my heels, and there'd be a clicker looking right at her, and all I'm thinking is, ah, you're going to give me away. Yeah. Oftentimes in companion missions, your companion is your worst goddamn enemy. Right. Because and they will get spotted, and they, they they basically just turn that off. You don't have to worry about Ellie running in front of, it, of an affected because she's not going to be seen. So at least they do that for you. Um, uh, from here on out, we get our first uh, clicks and looks and the realization that the infected are a hell of a lot more hard to kill here than they are in the game. They were a lot harder to kill than I had anticipated. Right. Yeah, that was and a lot of reactions. I do have a question, too, about whenever you're playing the game. Is it often that you're able to just travel by very carefully and get away from them, away from them, or do you end up having to actually fight them a lot? You can sneak past them. The, so, the clicker okay. specifically. It's, it's my preferred okay. manner of okay, doing Okay, so, that so that's what I was wondering. Stealth. So that's not, maybe Stealth not so much easy, but it is very possible to do that. And they also can't see, because you have a flashlight in the game too, and they can't they see your see flashlight. Okay. Right. Not, not only that, that, but this is a world where resources are very limited. 
So like you do not want plus to, plus noise draws more, right? So you don't want to engage if you can help it because it. it's it's just very it's difficult like to any go. Zombie game. You don't want to shoot a gun. You're just gonna, right. if you can take them out silently. <laughs> that is what you're going to want to do. Absolutely. This, this scene had me thinking, Joel. I hope you have a shiv, and if not, I hope you have some duct tape and some whatever the the, the three <laughs> materials are to make bombs. This is a very important. Uh, change from the way the game operates because ideally in the game you would sneak past these things and have zero interaction with them and these startling moments that you run into in the show you need that to keep the pace up so yeah. you know, they get to do more and how about that first moment when you saw that clicker's face and his flashlight mm. when it discovered him my god I paused ah. it just so I could take it in a little bit you know yeah I like the part where they're behind the gun cabinet and the clickers on the other side right and as it comes around, and they get a nice clear shot of it, and Ellie's reaction, she's just like trying desperately not to panic, but she catches her breath just a tiny bit, a little and too it loud. turns back, and that's when, you know, that's the scene from the trailer right there. There was a, an important detail from the pod, uh, the primary podcast. This scene was actually re-added in later. They tried to develop the, the clickers can't see, but they can hear with some of the earlier uh, moments that we talked about already. But I believe it was one of the writers. I'm not sure. She came back and said, "I don't understand why the clickers can't see." That, as a viewer, if I've never played the game, there's no reason that doesn't oh, okay. make sense to me. So they wanted to deliver that. They wanted you to know it. So they went back and they created that scene, that wonderful little scene where Ellie's looking at Joel. You kind of looking over her shoulder at his face, and he puts his finger to his mouth and mouths the words, "They can't see, but they can hear." Oh, yeah, that was yeah. good. Yeah. And I thought that, that, that was, was really important. I think it's interesting that they subtitle that, even yeah. though you can't actually hear him talking. Right. But they do subtitle that he says I those words. I had subtitles on it. I did not notice. I yeah. did not notice. He says that right there. There were so many shadows. It would have been really hard to read his lips. Yeah. So I, I do want to ask here. Um, I get very much vibes in this scene for one specific other movie. And I'm going to start with Shannon, then Sean, then Mal. I want to see if there's any movie scene that's like iconic that you think of this anything think of what of this scene with them in the museum trying to hide from the clicker and not make noise i think sean's on it i'm on it too Me go too. for it then you guys at the same time three two one jurassic, jurassic park. park with the velociraptors <laughs> in the kitchen really there. yeah 100 percent. i'm like oh it's the raptor <laughs> right. scene in the kitchen i have it right here <laughs> Kidding. That's yeah. funny that you thought of that ahead of time. Yeah, I did until funny. he said it. There's another important boys note only here. think about one thing, and it's disgusting dinosaurs. They show, <laughs> they show the first clicker. Uh, you very clearly can see he doesn't have eyes, but we've already established that was hard to tell without the other scene. They did not use CGI, so for all that vivid colors and all that wonderful makeup was makeup. They insisted on practical effects. I watched the again the commentary at the end. They went over this very thoroughly. Yes. In fact, they tried different looks, but they ultimately ended up going with um, the practical. The well, what the game had because yeah, yeah. they wanted to make sure that they were and staying true to that. I think what really helps them out too is that in the game you can actually you, there's actually a place in the game where you can look at the character models themselves in high resolution. So they have high-resolution character models of what all the infected look like, what Joel and Ellie look like. They have everything that, they can, that the art departments can really just lean on in terms of creating these things. You'll notice the clickers look a little different. They didn't, like I said, they didn't want to use CGI, so they didn't split their heads open in all the scenes the way they did in the game. They used makeups and perspective and forced perspective to make it look as you might see that. But that first 
clicker you see, he's got like a swollen brain thing going on covering his eyes. It's, that's deviates from the way they look in the game. But their movements, they movements. nailed those. So, and they fair. said that in the commentary too, that the two actors that played those, they Clickers. were actual fan gamers. Oh, nice. Yeah, so because they knew they would understand the movement and exactly what needed to be delivered. Were they cosplayers? Did they actually like, dress up like that they too? They didn't tell me that. I but bet they did, yeah. <laughs> they had a core of people who were very happy to put on the makeup. Oh, of course. And they were super stoked. And he said they nailed not only the motions of the clickers that they as they established them in the game, but they nailed the uh, audio. Some of these the clicks and sounds we were hearing were actually the... Oh, oh really? That's, that's cool. Yeah. Makes me think of the behind the scenes from uh, uh, the Star Wars documentaries where the, the little boy got to play the Ewok. And oh. like was mimicking, I don't know, it's it reminiscent <laughs> there. But does that mean that the Velociraptor was the original clicker? Like with their with their his, toenails. Is his twitching toenail. <laughs> I don't know, but watching them play the scenes without the CGI on the actors playing the Velociraptors is fucking hilarious. Oh, in the rich, in <laughs> Jurassic Park, yeah, it is. Um, another thing I want to point out here is a couple of things that I noticed is uh, when he does uh, catch up to Ellie around the cabinet and they kind of backtrack and he steps on the glass and when that clicker comes over the top. Oh my god! The attention when he's holding it off to have him holding his left hand up there and in clear view is that watch. Yeah, uh, I did not catch that. Yeah, it's just I, no one else I watched pointed that out to, and I'm just like, the there's a reason why his watch is center frame. There was such, uh, it was a pause. There was a, a, just short of a pregnant pause after that sound happened, enough to make you give you time to go, oh shit! And then this thing was flying at him, yeah, in a full tackle. I, I felt like that that a, that that moment really does a good job of capturing what it feels like to play this game. Because yes. Shannon was asking earlier, can you sneak by them? Yes, and I often tried. However, I feel like I would spend 10 minutes trying, trying to constantly stay out of this thing's per, like uh, uh, hearing area and stuff and, and just not make any noise. And and sometimes you can't, he's blocking where you need to go. So you go, okay, I'm going to try to go around this way. And then he moves and is back and forth and back and forth. And so you really build up this anxiety. Mm -hmm. right. And then you almost have it. And then you bump into something and it's on top of you. And I'm like, this is exactly why I never replayed this game. <laughs> <laughs> and that is exactly what happened to them. They were trying to be so careful. And yeah. He... Another important detail from the game that we learned through this interaction is how precious ammunition becomes. Mm -hmm. He unloads his pistol into the first one that they fight and runs out of ammo pretty quickly. So later on, whenever he addresses the second one with the long rifle, you, it's not so much da 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 save my life. It was pow, pow. You know, and that's the way the game goes because you run out of bullets real fast. Mm -hmm. You learn to get sneaky and aim at the head as much as possible. Yeah, it, it, I'm, like I said, I watch a, a speedrunner do this, and he's like, I'm going to pick, I know where the ammo spots are. I know where I can get ammo. It's like, I'm going to need three rifle rounds for this. I'm going to need two arrows mm -hmm. for that. He knows exactly what he's going to need to kill each thing through that game. So, yeah, the, the scarcity of resources is the number one thing that really keeps you from just going in guns blazing. I remember when I bought the game, it was Corey that encouraged me to do it, and I remember you telling me, hold on to your bullets, man. You know, bullets aren't cheap. They don't yeah. come easy. It's, I, 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 you know, I'm used to doing that. I end up at the end of the game with like, you know, 30 health potions walking through. Like, I do I have, have enough? I don't want to spend these. I'm going to die. Because <laughs> um, so I if he had gotten way, a good shot. With it. I'm so sorry, Sean. No, by all means, continue. Um, if he had gotten a good shot um, to the head, would that have been enough or was it? Generally, yes. Okay. But I mean, that one he did get when it ran at him, he got it in the neck and that was enough. Well, I mean, that was enough, but he ended up still having to shoot it again. Yeah. Generally, headshots, just like in every other movie is where you want to be generally and we and we assume because we don't have enough data for how they're going to do it in this show but yeah theoretically right right getting that that headshot well, those, okay it. so the art for the mushrooms 
I mean, I've seen stuff like that on the trees in the woods. They can yeah. be pretty hard. So I yeah. was wondering if that, that could be like almost like a helmet to them that it might not penetrate. I'm not sure if it's that or just that they're just so infected in other places that even though you take out that chunk, yeah. they got mo- they gotcha. got more. So in the game, whenever you see the, the clickers, their heads are split open. So a headshot, the brain might still be intact. Headshots do seem to affect them more severely than body shots. But I do remember some pivotal points in the game where I put one or two rounds into the head of the thing, you know, and I'm sitting there thinking, that was a headshot, but this thing's still coming towards me. Yeah. It really puts you in that on your heels a lot with that mechanic. They also value stealth in the game, so if you can get a stealth right. kill, they're generally easier to kill than if they're right. fully on on you at that point. Right. Yeah. Um, anything else from the from the museum there? No, just just very well done. Oh, absolutely. I oh, think wonderful. So too. And I do like how they made the two the art, the makeup was different from one to the other. Like yeah, one was they're like unique. Really orange. The other one's more of the white. And again, both of those. I've seen that in the woods so many times. <laughs> the last great reference to the game that I want to point out here is the we see Tess get attacked by one of these things and sort of pulled out of the scene. And this is the first time we see that mechanic between Joel and Ellie where she's stuck on his heels, as you saw in the game. Yeah. I also think it's funny. This is a scene in the game where you run into this area and you do get caught up in that. And in the game, you know you're... you're you're in charge of keeping track of Tess and Ellie. And if they get attacked or if they have a a clicker on them, they'll get a little plus symbol above their head Mm -hmm. saying, you have Mm -hmm. to go over there and help them. I forgot about that mechanic. So I was just like, I I just kept thinking that. I was like, oh, he's going to see plus symbols over their heads. (laughs) (laughs) So we can go back to like the production, the budget and all the behind the scenes stuff like that. Then I can't help but feel for HBO going like, man, if you only had Disney's volume, that they're shooting all of their shows in like that, that would be the perfect environment for all these small enclosed sets. They do have uh, access to, to the volume because they used it in uh, in hot D uh, in a house of the dragon. It's being used. Oh, well there you go. Yeah. They have access to that. I wonder how much, uh, how much they're getting. Cause that would make, I don't feel like any of this was shot on the volume, at least as far as I can tell. Well, again, I mean the volume is like kind of gives things away because it's a small area when they're trying to do the big wide open uh, daylight scenes, but for right. like dark, darkly lit stuff that's uh, in a confined space, right. uh, it's a. Uh, and just so gosh. anyone might listening might know what the volume is, it's basically a a set, a set where they can customize. Um, what everything looks like. So you would uh, set decorate just about, you know, 20 square feet and a big circle around them. But the whole walls and ceiling is all LCD screens. So they can put real life scenes. Instead of having a green screen back there where you can't see what you're looking at, they can put images on those screens. Not, Not only that, but the light from those screens, like, hits the people, too. So you don't have to use as much lighting. And when the camera moves, it works like a camera in a video game. Like, the background will move with it. So to give you that perspective, instead of having that, like, painting in the background type of green screen That's some cool tech. I was sitting here dumbfounded. You got to watch. The volume. What the hell is he talking about? Disney Plus. Disney Plus. That's why I was mouthing you. I'm like, do you know what they're talking about? If you were standing in there, it might look awkward and out of shape to you. But if you were at the camera's lens, it would look like the image of what 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 you see on the show. It's instant feedback. So, for example. Those lighting references that, you know, that, that get screwed up in other movies when you background it with CGI. That's brilliant. You, yeah. you watch uh, Disney Plus. There's one of those little short, you know, documentary things about the volume, which they go into like full detail, and it is really cool. Like oh, basically, they'll out. put like a couple of rocks in the middle, and it'll be this big empty room, and you think you're in a hangar and on Tatooine or whatever, 
um, it, it's it's really cool. One of the things I saw it in first was in um, in House of the Dragon when they are confronting them on the bridge in the very first episode where they come in and uh, Rhaenyra comes in on the dragon. Mm-hmm. That little section of bridge is only about as like long as this table is. They're all standing right there. Everything yeah. else around them is a, is a, is on basically LCD screens all around them. I would never have guessed. Yep, it's very well done. It, it it just gives them so much flexibility, and it also lets the actors see what they're actually. That's acting important in. too. I highly recommend anybody checking that out if you haven't already. It's really short, and they like uh, give some detail on how Favreau evolved that technology through doing a couple of films to become what it is, and it's it's pretty badass. I yeah. mean, one of the easiest ways to pick up on bad CGI is looking at the edges. You see where it changes from reality to a computer generated image, and the bullshit armor goes off. The what's the <laughs> the valley? What's the uncanny valley? Uncanny valley kicks yeah. in. Yeah. Um, so we'll continue from there. Um, we do escape from the museum completely unscathed. Hold on, I do have one. Yes, thing. go right ahead. <laughs> Whenever they asked if Ellie was okay, and she said, "Well, I didn't shit my pants." Did yeah. anybody pick up on a little <laughs> accent? Oh, she, her accent. Oh, she. It sounded she had a little bit of an English accent. That's so to my, funny. To my ear, anyhow. Yeah, she actually it. talks about the first words she learned were swear words, like yeah. to, to speak in American. Way, and I listened to it probably three or four times just to like, I'm like, yeah, I definitely. <laughs> that reaction and her fairly nonchalant response becomes important. Yeah. Um, she does also point out in that, uh, oh, yeah, I said they uh, they uh, escape from the museum completely unscathed, except for Ellie getting bit, oh, and Tess twisting her ankle. But other than that, completely unscathed. No, no problem. It was. I think she was scratched, wasn't she? She that, that was she what was it would bit. appear to well, be. Well, she was, was. She got injured by a infected. That's what we know. Okay. She also had some scratches on. Sorry, some scratches on her neck that I noticed while, like during the fight. I had like paused it. Yeah. So, so can the infected infect you through a scratch too? I realize she's immune, but that wouldn't be of concern. Just a bite. I think there would have to be some sort of biting access or there could be something to an open wound but i think that would be uh, have brought been brought up to us before have okay. been brought well, up to us before they might be telling you that whenever she touches his hand that hand moment like you know fearing that contact of any kind and yeah um, yeah that's telling yeah you know so like if we're going to engage as that was potentially risky behavior then i would imagine that um it, and, and that might also go to like how far into the infection, the ho- the uh, the host is right. Like right. If, if you're recently infected and you don't have fungus all over your body, maybe right. not so bad. This was exposition into how confident Ellie is in her immunity. She's 100 percent sure of it. If it could have happened to any one of us, at least it was me. Or right? Yeah, she effect. says. Yeah, if it had to happen to anyone, and she, she makes a wise ass joke. <laughs> She's not concerned. Um, at this point, we do head outside uh, through a window, and Ellie is sent across while Joel and Tess have a conversation. Um, now, this scene where she crosses that bridge is right out of the video game. That's directly lifted off. I mean, so that's that's scene for scene. Actually, this whole scene from them leaving to going down that um, ladder is all from the video game. Okay, so I did have a question about one that's coming up, and um, I, the whenever she says, I mean. Uh, or like how to run out anyway and i think that's a little bit farther down yeah. is that from a cut scene because it sounded like dialogue from a cut scene <laughs> that is a direct quote, quote. Uh, it's, it's Which just scene? fit this comes later when i'm when sorry i jumped no, you're fine i jumped you're fine i'll get to it we'll get to it just remember that note um uh, they uh ellie is sent across and joel have a, um i'm sorry tess and joel have a conversation uh but there's clearly something on tess's mind she dismisses joel saying how about you just take the good news uh, so they're bandaging up her ankle, and that's totally all that's wrong with her. Um, uh, 
the, where he says it's everything you hope for. The jury's still out, but you can't deny that view. That's a direct lift. Mm-hmm. Um, as she walks away, um, Joel does check his watch again. Did you see the look he gave her when she said, you can't deny that view? He looked at her like she was crazy. Right. Like the, yeah. the look That's he gave her was really at. weird. <laughs> yeah. I feel that was in the game, right? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I feel like that moment was in the game because that was the way you figured out when it was time to go to sleep or go to work or whatever you had to do. These scenes would come up with these just... You know, life's not all bad, and that's whenever you'd put hit save, put the controller down, and you know, go take a yeah. This is the break you take. You know, yeah. Um, at this point, we move on uh, as we're walking down. There is an uh, interesting scene here. If you catch it on a second viewing, when Tess is walking, she turns around to say something to them. You can see that she has that mark on her neck already. Uh-huh. Um, just outside the city hall building, it's quiet, too quiet. Uh, a blood trail leads them inside where they. Um, uh, where clearly a plan did not come together. <laughs> uh, the fireflies are dead, and Tess becomes distraught and frantic. Uh, Joel wants to go back home, but Tess is a little less thrilled with that prospect. It's at this point Ellie realizes the truth. Tess has been infected. Yeah, I mean, that hit pretty hard whenever I learned it. Um, it the, you go back and rewatch some of the earlier scenes, and there's going to be a lot there where you're watching for, like, the scar on her neck or the way Joel handles uh, working with her, you know, like... Just little tender moments, and you're going to be like, oh, she's hiding that, or she's doing this, or she's Quit doing it. that. You're, you're freaking me out, Rick. <laughs> I like having the uh, the ability oh. to just bring those little subtle so, things in and watch the room, like, one yeah, by one, everybody kind of looking around going, where the hell is that coming It's from? not at all distracting when you're talking, you know what I mean? You just roll on. When you it say, says Sean, the guy whose wife is literally beating him in the arm right now. <laughs> what? Shannon, you talk. Sean, whenever you said that... You were, I, I think you said you were surprised or something. So th- this doesn't happen in the game. Which part? Um, um, Tess being infected. Oh at no, this point. no, this is all. Okay, so were you surprised when you were playing the game? Is that what you meant? No, I, in the game you almost expect something to happen whenever you have that set up. It just, I like this actress. I don't Lord know. If you, you didn't use the word surprise, but you said it hit you hard. I guess it I did. didn't. Yeah. It did. Yeah, they. I mean, obviously this this all happens in the game. In the game, it's a little bit more of a shock because you don't realize that she. You get scared that she might have, but it doesn't come up. There's like, I mean, there's a long delay between when you're doing this playing and the time you get to the city hall. Mm-hmm. It happens a little quicker here. Um, uh, you know, so when they realize she's been infected, uh, after showing um, after showing the progression of the bite versus Ellie's, this is another important reason why I think they had her get bit in the museum to show. I mean, the the thing on her arm is weeks old apparently, but this just happened and that just happened on Tess. And, and look at Tess yeah. and look at Ellie. This is her way of saying, this is fucking real, Joel. And that's the same, basically same line she uses. You know, this, this immunity is real. So this is the moment where you believe she believes. Yeah. She's fully on board with, you know, you know, getting Ellie to where she needs to be. And, she, you know, she pleads with Joel to keep going to get to um, Frank and Bill's place, who we haven't met yet, uh, to, you know, hand her off. Um, I want to ask. You did say Tess was bit. We know this. Yes. You said it was on her neck? Yeah. It was on her clavicle over they here. They show it. Did was she not bit on her times? ankle as well? No. No, nah, I think she just broke her leg. She twisted her ankle. That was her excuse as to what happened. But, I mean, I think she probably did legit twist her ankle, too. But if you noticed during that scene before they cross over the, the ladder bridge, she's her hair, and, her hair and jacket are draped over her right shoulder protecting I noticed that, that under view. I noticed that on one of the There's a second scene or third watch. Where Joel is tending to her foot 
or her ankle. Right. I don't know if that's later or no, now. that's right there. You can watch her very clearly holding her pant leg down and wrestling the tape off of him before he gets to that spot. I feel like she, I think she just wants a moment and she's just like, you know, leave me alone. I just, yeah. you know, she just wants, she knows what's happened. In fact, you can actually see blood going on her jacket yeah, where the infected might have grabbed on and then slid off. So, yeah, that's very. Um, so I know I know none of the people in this room, uh, well, on, on microphone are, are particularly religious. Um, but is anybody else picking up a parallel that I didn't notice until we're talking about the scene of like uh, Christ and the two thieves on the cross? Like, uh, you know, where Ellie's the savior and freaking she's mm. like at the last second kind of converting and going like, oh, no, like, yeah, this is the Messiah kind of deal, you know, and you still have the. I don't know. I guess if I grew up in a religious household, my mind might have snapped there. I don't think it's intentional. I'm no. just like going like, oh, like that's kind well, of an interesting parallel that's developing in my head here, you know? I mean, it goes back to her scene where she's laying in that beam of sunlight. Mm-hmm. I mean, she is the savior. At least that's what we're supposed to think. That's what she, yeah, she's the, the key, the cure. She's you know, the light in the way here. So I think that that's a, a great parallel to notice. Well, I feel like that's what's happening with Tess, right? Like, I feel like in this moment where she sees an opportunity to do something good and then, like, also, like, in that moment realizing, oh, I can't do anything. I'm I'm done here. Like, this is, this is the end of yeah. my story and kind of having this revelatory experience. I mean, she, she and says like, it pretty like, clearly. Yeah. She I'm said, not going home. Yeah. She, well, and she even said... um you got to make this right or you got to, you know, for all the shit we've done. Exactly. Make everything right again. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, Oh no. Like there was still hope. And you know, we did all of this stuff. We, you have to make it it mean something. Right. I think another thing that's very clear here is the relationship is a little bit um, expanded upon with Tess and Joel, where she says pleading with him that I've never asked you for anything, not to feel the way I felt. Mm -hmm. And even, even just saying that now that kind of hits me. It's like, she loved him. Oh yeah, I think one hundred percent. He loved, she loved him, and but he would not reciprocate. They were thunder buddies for life. Yeah, no, I think Joel loved her. I think I just, th- I don't think he'd let himself care about anyone ever again, and that is the mode that he is in. I think there are some very key moments, uh, mostly through fear or shock, in this episode where Pedro Pascal really sells that Joel is not completely closed off. He's not lost. There are still things that'll, you know, kind of catch his soul a little bit. And, uh, I, well, I think clearly, yeah. They're just buried a little deeper. I mean, he wears that watch. I mean, clearly he's, right. there's room for something. He's but still here. Him having the feelings and him allowing himself to have intimacy with another person are two different things, right? Like, he can clearly very much care for her and be concerned for her, but also close himself off to go, I'm like, no, I'm not going to put myself in a position where I can be hurt that way again. Yeah. He's not going to give her love, for example. So, I mean, yeah, it's not going to happen. Um, while they're conversing, uh, an infected suddenly wakes up only to be put down with one shot. <laughs> this has the unfortunate side effect of sending out the bat signal to just about every infected in the area. Um, we do get this great scene of how the information superhighway works here with these tendrils coming off the fingers and going into the ground. We mm-hmm. then see all these infected wake up. and The mycelium network. Yeah, and they're, they're coming. Um, you know, he's like, she's like, how many are out there? He's like, all of them. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's at this point where uh, Tess goes into overdrive, basically, you know, setting the trap so that she can, you know, try to do what she can as she stays behind to basically, you know, do her best to be the Ripley familian here to basically go face to face with this. Can thing. I ask, was that another um, straight from the game, save who you can? 
Save who you can, I think, is a direct lift. I cannot remember if that line is, yeah. but I think it is. Save who you can save, that's what she said. Now, this scene does play out a little bit differently in terms of the specifics. So in the game, it's um, Fedra who come to, they shot all the fireflies. Okay. This was and a no, great point that the no, director spoiler? made in the... No. Spoiler? No, no I don't That's know. Spoiler. Right there. Okay. It's just, just an alternative way of this scene went down. Instead of it being infected, chasing them down, it's actual military. Okay. In the video game, you're having this scene. You find out Tess's bit, and then uh, you hear Fedra outside or approaching in some way, shape, or form, and that's when she chases you off and says, I'll buy you some time. And in the, the director's comment, I'm sorry, the um, accompanying podcast, they explain this by saying, why would Fedra be there? Yeah. And I remember that occurred to me when I was playing the game. What are they doing here? Were they just chasing so down the fireflies? So that's why they made this big shift. Yeah, to, there's no reason yeah. for Fedra to be there. Other than they knew the fireflies might be there and they're, right. they're, the, they're their enemies. But they're, they're, yeah, you're right. There was no real reason. They didn't know that Joel and right. Ellie and Tess were out there to begin with. So why would they know that the fireflies are out there? But again, that is the conceit there that instead of, they changed it to, to infected this time. That's mm-hmm. basically the biggest change. Which is great too, because then you get an opportunity to really see how they operate a little bit more than you would if you were, it would just be human on human fight. That's right. Boring. Again, I don't know <laughs> if it was CGI. I assume it was practical effects given the director's commentary, but those clickers that were getting up off of the ground slightly blurry in the back with our one primary clicker in the front i mean that was eerie some of them literally just stood straight up like jack skellington Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know the movements were were disturbing it was great right and this is where we basically get the worst kiss ever seen on screen oh (laughs) this was the most i sat there why is she not moving her mouth (laughs) I yeah. did not like that scene at all the <laughs> yeah, first was, time I watched it. I didn't like that scene the second time I watched it. The third time, I hated it even more, but I understood so, it. So do you guys have an eye? Could you be able to tell me this or maybe know otherwise whether or not that that was some sort of CGI or was there actually something being shoved into her mouth oh, from this other that guy's mouth? That had CGI right <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I don't know. I, I have no idea. <laughs> I probably assume had some practical effect. You know what I mean? Something I assume all the movement maybe, but is CG. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of anxiety in this. Um, I'll go back to my blasphemous uh, analogy of this act of contrition uh, on her behalf. But, uh, man, what a slow, drawn-out, anxiety-inducing situation. So, first of all, let me ask, in this moment with the worst French kiss of all time, this clearly does not feel like the type of behavior you expect. You expect them to jump on and just take people out. Do you think they can sense the fact that she's already infected and that is why... It's, they're not straight mauling her, and why they're you know there's I this think so. tender display of weirdness. I, I think it, it goes both ways too. I think the fact that she was so kind Calm. of recep- receptive to it, you know, like not not you could tell she was still somehow within her own her normal human mind because she was still trying to like that. Yeah, she's absolutely. like she was letting this happen she's a little not, too easily. That I don't think she, she was absolutely. I don't frozen. think healthy She would. was non-threatening. She was yeah. not trying to attract too much attention because she wanted as many of them yeah, to come she, into the room as possible. And if you pay attention on the third second watch through, you'll catch her lighter clicks are slowing down. She's converting. She's right. changing or just know, terrified. Mm-hmm. I, my in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, she's. 
she's trying not to set off the powder keg, mm-hmm. and but then she's absolutely kind she resists, of they're going to tear her apart. giving into this. Oh shit, it's over, and then gets it at the last second. But was anybody else irritated by the fact that there was a room full of grenades and she's messing uh, yes. with the old Zippo? Like, why didn't you, you just pull the, the fucking time. pin on a grenade and? I mean, that would have been cooler, we but maybe less dramatic. Said, There's grenades. There were a couple, <laughs> a couple moments in this uh, episode, just a, a little criticism that I thought, yeah, you know, what's going on here? Like earlier, whenever they, they come upon all these dead uh, fireflies, they walk right past a perfectly good truck. Yeah. And I know that Tess had a good reason for storming in there, but. Well, there were more than just the truck, though. There was a whole bunch of other supplies, which we saw in that hallway. Mm-hmm. So once they were in the door, there was no going back out front. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, they could have, sure. I meant at that point, and I think Joel's hollering at Tess before she went in there, Tess, was indicative of his, he would rather get in that truck and drive, drive away. Drive away, just leave the kid. Situation. We got her here, let's go. Yeah. We don't need to investigate any farther. Possible. I, um, I feel like, to the, um, they probably could have just done better off without the grenades at all, because you had all of those big barrels of flammable liquid. something to explode, though. Yeah. Uh, no, they already had one of the barrels was tipped over and there was oil all over the place. So if she hits the lighter and drops it, the same exact thing happens. I'm going to go ahead and defend Tess's poor decision by saying she had a killer fungus taking over <laughs> her brain. No, 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 I'm good. <laughs> I'm saying I feel like they shouldn't have put the grenades in the scene. Then you wouldn't be drawn to the idea of, of the decision at all. And you could have been like, okay, the lighter makes Yeah, because you can also say the same that why didn't Ellie and Joel take in his grenades? But they were just getting the fuck out. So. Well, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. And her I, last I, wish, the way she said to Joel, you know, what she wanted and what she had to do and Joel's reaction. He grabbed Ellie by the arm and ran, ran out of there. Out. Ellie resisting the whole damn way because she didn't want to leave Tess, I'm her sure. mother figure. Yeah. I also think this gives us some behavioral characteristics of the different infected. I mean, there you mentioned this before. You got the, you have the runners. Now, a class they don't really mention here, but this is more stalker behavior. Mm-hmm. These are the more the slow-moving, methodical mm-hmm. ones. Where they will stalk you and, and and slowly prey on you. This is more of a, a the second game, I think, more than necessarily the first game. But this is definitely characteristic of those type of creatures. So they they're a little bit more aware. They're not as frantic. They're not as twitchy. So they'll just kind of saunter up to you and stalk you and and, and prey on you. Okay, is there a name for the ones that are connected, or is that exactly what the stalkers are? The ones that were connected. They're just all they're connected. All connected. They're all yeah, all the infected are on some level. I mean, they're all kind of like hanging together. So we've got stalkers, clickers. And runners, are there going to be more? You don't have to tell me them now. No, no. You ha- you have your basic <laughs> infected, which is just anyone who's been bitten, and then you have your runners. Those are the more friend. Those are- that's grandma in the beginning, okay. um, and then most of these guys running after them. Then you would have something like a stalker. These are like they've been infected so it's like for a World while. World War Z zombies, but they're much more Walking Dead, dead yeah. zombies. They're much more cognizant <laughs> of kind of what they're doing and how they're operating. And then you have the full on clickers, and then okay. what, what so you have after that it. we that's, don't know yet. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um. Pretty much after that, yeah, you said that he drags her from the place. Um, they escape just in time to w- to witness Tess successfully detonating uh, the pursuing infective and s- infected, and sadly herself. That long, slow kiss it was gross. Yeah, <laughs> and that was, from what I understand from the director's commentary, pretty intentional. Uh, his own words were, "I think anything penetrative is pretty gross," <laughs> and I don't think he's wrong. Yeah, I think they sa- they sold that well. Um, but the- you couldn't look away, could you? No. Yeah. The episode basically ends on alone Ellie with her back towards the uh, town hall there, and I think that's a you know that was a good place to wrap that up. Um, any final thoughts? Anything else that you guys want to uh, dredge up or notes that you had that you wanted to speak about? 
I think this is a slow burn on the first watch through. I know a lot happens and there's a lot of shocking moments, but if you don't catch the details in between with a rewatch, you're missing a lot. You should go back and watch it again. I don't feel like it, I, I thought the pacing was really good. I, um, I will say I'm really happy that I, I got the setup working for us to watch this in our basement. Cause the first one we just kind of watched on the regular TV upstairs because I was having technical difficulties, but having the 7.2 surround sound and the big TV in a dark room, I think was definitely very beneficial yeah. in this situation to have the environment where you could really immerse yourself in that anxiety jealous yeah, of your audio configuration very, Corey. <laughs> did any of you guys watch the preview for the next episode i did not i generally don't do it just because i don't want to i caught the very yeah, first section and we do get a little glimpse of I'm someone who's gonna very be very excited to meet rich offerman's character and what he so lovingly calls the new world order jackboots <laughs> <laughs> well we I'm definitely so look excited. forward to that Rich Offerman, who's do we know who he's playing? It's first of all, it is not Rich Offerman. Right. It is Nick, Nick Offerman. Offerman. I'm sorry, I keep saying it is. He is he is one of the people. He is not one of the high and mighty. He is Nick, Did I say not that? Rich. I'm just joking about oh. Rich status. <laughs> no, uh, Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman. I apologize. Um, the oh, man's every man's man. You don't know who Nick Offerman is. You do. Uh, what's his name in the show? We, we talked about him last week after the podcast. We could talk again. In one Fair enough. I, I think, though, I think right now I'm going to vote that, that next week's uh, we'll, we'll have to have an official drink and we can drink the Lagavulin uh, Offerman yeah, we'll edition. Lagavulin. There you go. There you go. Delightful. Well, if way. that's all we have, I thank you all for joining me once again. And, um, you know, you. hopefully we can uh, keep on doing this. And uh, I hope you enjoyed it all week. Absolutely. Enjoy the next episode. We'll see you soon.